I'm really excited to welcome our guest today, David Johnston, the visionary founder of Accept and Proceed. His remarkable journey has included collaborations with industry giants such as Nike, Google and NASA. David, awesome to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you. I do have one question to kick us off, which I think can start the conversation. Um, just so everyone is aware, our topic for today or our theme is designing the future. So exploring behavior change, system revamps and tomorrow's opportunities. So I thought we can dive straight into, you know, look into the future. What excites you, David, the most about the opportunities for designers to create positive impacts on this society? Thank you. Yeah, you've tapped right into my passion point there um, immediately uh, out of the gate. So thank you, Rogan. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. So thank you for inviting me. And I think actually just to say up front that I think it's a kind of necessary dissolving of the like illusionary boundaries within the creative sector and actually the world at large that's starting to be addressed through conversations like this and connection points like this. So I really appreciate um, the invitation and I'm looking forward to discussing these themes with you. I think um, when I think of the opportunities for designers, it's huge. And I think the stakes could not be higher in this moment. We currently have a situation where the eight billion people alive on this planet are using 500 billion people's worth of hydrocarbon, hydrocarbon energy. And many of us are still obsessed with the idea of abundance, but we live on a planet with finite resource. So it's not hard to see the flaws in the way that we've been operating. And if I track back through my life, I, I have been through periods of just, as we all probably have, you know, alive this far into the 21st century, you sort of wake up some mornings and you think about the political systems or the energy systems or the relationship systems or the food systems, like take your pick. There's so many things that seem to be falling apart around us. But I think simultaneous to that, what's actually happening is the planet is becoming more conscious. We're actually experiencing this sort of shift so we have this kind of paradox happening where, you know, if, if you were to take all of the companies currently listed on the NASDAQ, if environmental cost was accounted for like other forms of capital, 78% of those companies would be considered completely unviable. So that means that 78% of everything around us has to change. Everything from the microphone I'm speaking into, the computers and devices that we're using to connect with each other, it has to change in the way that it's produced, operates, and is marketed to the world. So I feel that the revolution of brand, which is the area that we kind of focus in, but everything's an application of brand when you think of it these days. I think the revolution of brand and media and communication is absolutely necessary in terms of the evolution of consciousness. And people that create media and brands and communications have got a responsibility to really think about what they're actually creating. You know, they've got to get out of the mindset of thinking that they're passively reflecting culture, because what you choose to, to create is very, very important in this moment. I think that comes with this responsibility as a designer to think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, who you're doing it with, what you're doing it for. Because ultimately we're, we're existing in this moment where it's it kind of happening in a backdrop of fear and insecurity and negativity. We're distracted essentially from what's coming down the track. And the media is basically programming our collective consciousness 
to not be aware of what's happening and facing us and how we need to change. Therefore, the brand systems, the communication systems, the conversation systems all need to have integrity and they all need to be created in a way that will have a positive effect on the future. When you think about a brand system or the design work that you actually create, you're actually bringing into the world language and symbols which fundamentally change the way we behave in the world around us. That's a superpower. It's a dark art and it comes with a responsibility. So I really think the opportunity and the responsibility around the way that we operate couldn't be couldn't be bigger. And it comes at a very high potential cost if we don't start thinking about the effects, the cause and effects of our work in this moment. Sure. I mean, I can already see how much passion you have for this topic and it's really inspiring. I guess then what you could say is design holds the power to initiate conversations that can lead to positive change. Uh, what one might think is then you need collaborative efforts amongst designers, experts, and communities. So how would we then make sure there's a collaboration between designers, policymakers, and other stakeholders to drive this change? Yeah. Well, there's a few things um, within that as far as I think about it, because it's clearly, I saw a brilliant diagram recently that was like an upside down triangle. And the top part of the triangle was the people that make policy, the legislators. So they have the biggest power in the world because they tell businesses what to do. So if you imagine a sort of tiered upside down triangle, you've got the legislators at the top that make policy that affect the businesses. The businesses affect the communities and the communities affect the citizens. So you have this sort of diminishing agency in the world, the lower down that chain that you get. But you can actually hack that system. And there's various different organizations around the world that are exploring this this way of kind of going in through community. If you think of certain activist groups, they're basically amassing community to change legislation. So they're they're kind of going in at the third rung on that diagram I described in order to be able to circle back up and change the policymakers. And there's incredible examples of that. The Gov.Zero case study in Taiwan I found absolutely fascinating where they cloned the governmental website and basically open sourced um, the opportunity to be able to upvote or downvote government policies. And the country en masse engaged with this. And this was something that was not like approved by the government, of course. And in that moment, you had an opportunity to either move the conversation forward or what has traditionally happened to lock it down, to say, you know, to, to basically clamp down. Thankfully, the Taiwanese government did engage with the Gov.Zero movement and, in fact, invited them in, and they're now consultants, and some of them sit within the government. And I think this is an incredible example of a rise in citizen thinking. So as an individual, as a citizen, you actually have more opportunity than, than you think sometimes. And I think breaking out of this kind of consumer story, this this kind of narrative which tells us that we're individual humans and we have only the agency within the world that we are allowed rather than our creative um kind of the full the full spectrum of our creative minds and our actions to be able to individually and on mass affect the affect the greater whole but there's also companies that can affect legislation of course because corporations transcend the geographical borders in which the, the, the countries and the legislators operate. So if you're a global system, you can often, this is fraught with issues, of course, but you can often affect the way that the legislators work. But I think all of it for, for me comes down to your individual perspective. The biggest responsibility, I think, is to work on yourself. Like 
the inner workings of yourself. What happens on the micro happens on the macro. And what's happening on our planet is down to kind of what's happening within us. There's there's kind of a reflection on who and what we are, which is having a very negative effect, effect on the planet. So I think that it kind of starts at home. You know, if you want to if you want to affect the planet, you need to really think about your thoughts. You need to think about your actions. You need to think about what's driving those. And then on mass, I love this metaphor of like, if you just look after your jigsaw piece, then the whole jigsaw will, will kind of emerge as one if everybody's doing their bit. And I like that because it doesn't feel overwhelming. You just affect the things you can around you and within yourself in every given moment. And then we're off and running. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And for me, what I noticed was that last bit where you spoke about people just all being responsible for their little portions. And I couldn't agree more. I think if everyone is just held accountable for their own personal decisions, collectively, it should make a greater impact. I think there's also been a shift in the way consumers interact with brands. I think consumers are expecting a lot more transparency from brands these days. They want to make sure that they are being ethical in the sourcing of materials and their decisions have sustainability in mind. And I guess that their values as a business align with their personal values. But I wonder how would you think or how do you think we can then shift or prepare the next generation of designers to tackle these challenges for the future, David? Yeah, I I do think we have to go back to education in many ways i think there's a there's a glaring lack of diversity in the creative sector that can only be addressed if we go back literally to primary school and you know start start kind of opening up the opportunities at the earliest stage within individuals to say oh i like the look of that i like the sound of that i think i can work within that that realm but you don't you if you don't see it you can't be it right so unless you're actually going and, and speaking to kids at the early stages you're just never going to diversify as we need to the the creative sector and inspire a kind of new generation like collaboration diversity of thinking different perspectives and background they are all the things that we need for the next generation of the creative sector and and for the for the kind of the most impactful work to be created but I do think that you can only affect where you're at. So, yes, I can go and speak at a primary school or a secondary school and start to make people aware. But my biggest opportunity is probably to have positive impact through our partnerships, through the projects that we do. And, of course, through inspiring the team, through having a mission to come to work for. I, I think deep down, nobody really wants a job to just occupy his or her time. I think that we want a mission that inspires us. And there's huge opportunities in this moment for missions that inspire us. So I think when we think of the next generation of designers, we have to also think of our current role as kind of incumbents within organizations to be setting out the framework that will inspire them, setting out the framework that is something they want to give their life to, really, a company that is worthy of them and that they are worthy of in order to be able to go and actually, you know, kind of live the most fulfilling life that they possibly can i think that being a creator is a is an incredibly rewarding uh career path for any that would like to kind of lead lead that way but at the same time it can be incredibly discouraging when you realize that you're using your skills your attention um 
for, for things that don't align with your values. So I think you're right. You know, I think that companies that align with our values are the clearest opportunity to inspire society at mass and inspire the future generations of designers. How are you guys then inspiring the youngsters that are coming into Accept and Proceed? Do you even feel that you need to inspire them because of the work you guys are doing is so inspirational at, at its core? Or do you guys have to really kind of drive that inspiration through them consistently? Um, it definitely it definitely requires constant atten- attention. And I think there's... Um, I was thinking recently, we've been working on our five-year plan and... If I think back to the way that we operated five years ago, there are clearly projects that we wouldn't want to do now. There's certainly ways that we were running those projects that seem naive because it was five years ago. And I think that, you know, the company is it's it's always at the top of its game, but it's always at the at the most naive point that it's ever going to be. If it's if it is an organization of learning and evolution. So I will look back in five years from now and cringe at the things that we are doing now, right? I'll be like, what were we thinking? But right now I'm like, we're top of our game because we're being inclusive and we're really thinking about our future as a as a group. So I just wanted to kind of um, start with that that kind of awareness around the fact that you you need to you need to evolve, but you need to evolve with the awareness that you will not get it right. It's an iterative process, just like the design process. But we started a few things over the last few years that have really helped. So. We began with having um, a living business plan. The living business plan is a is a plan that sits alongside our our kind of more traditional business plan, and it's an ecosystem of elements that all coexist. And I kind of see them as um, as themes that mean that when there's bumps in the road where you suddenly need to, you know, really look at the pipeline, or there's you know concerns because of a pandemic or any of these things that seem to be affecting us these days, you don't forget what you traditionally stood for. So the first year that we had um, a living business plan, it was co-defined by the entire team and came through conversations between the entire team. And we had things like love and death. You know, death is an important part of nature. You know, to recognize that death creates space for, for new life and to recognize that certain relationships must die and that's okay. They should be honored. You know, they should be thanked and hospiced in the kindest way out of existence, but you should you should recognize that moment and move on. That gives you an agency around the clients you might be working with or even people that you're working with in partnership or within the company. So there was, there was nine key elements um, within our first living business plan, and they've been whittled down over the last three years just to three key elements. But we co-define them every year. So last year, we actually went away as a team and we stayed for three days in nature in the north of England, And we spent time together where the computers were shut and there was no commercial work going on. And we really sat and looked at the company and decided where we'd come from, you know, thought about how that should inform the future and co-defined our next 12 months. And that's something that we repeated this spring. And I find those are really powerful moments to, to be very authentically creating this thing together. So young designers coming in recognize that they are that they have, a, they have an incredible opportunity to be connected to the wider whole and a responsibility to be pushing that thing forward as much as anybody else, whether you're a junior designer or the CEO, you all share in this, in this kind of organism that we're pushing forward together. So there are various different things that we do in addition to that. We like to socialize quite a lot. We like to inspire ourselves quite a lot by going out to you know, consume 
culture in different ways or absorb, should I say, not consume, but just kind of allow ourselves to sort of process what's happening in the world and see how it will inform our work. And then a lot of just spending time together as as real people in a real world to go and create positive impact. You know, these are all things that contribute towards culture, but it goes up and down. Like, sure. I, I'm not going to say that every single month we're just on fire internally around our mission. I think it, it requires constant attention and consideration and nurturing. And that's the thing about culture within organizations. I think that they, they're sometimes sort of intangible as to why it's working or why it's not. We can all stand in a company sometimes and just know that it's working, but it's not because of any one reason. It just feels like that's the season or the moment of, of a positive, like, galvanized um, team, but there are certain handrails, I think, handrails that you can put in place to try and encourage uh, this, those circumstances to emerge. Yeah, I was going to say because culture can change so quickly. I mean, you just need one or two people to get involved that can change or shift their culture completely. So, do you guys have a strict process that you adhere to to keep culture in place, or is it just kind of go with it and, and, and see what happens? Well, we do. We have an annual calendar. So starting with our annual kickoff where we take time out, usually two to three days, often doing fun things as well as you yeah. know, the more um, kind of nuts and bolts of co-defining our future. Um, I suppose we encourage as much as possible a culture of looking after each other, because in a company of any size, really, but it's certainly a company that's growing, you will have groups that come together for certain projects or groups that come together because they're they live together you know or, or live close together and so there's all of these kind of little um clusters of people that that we encourage to support each other and then we do have a process of one one to one check-ins so um you know we do have a, a, a form of uh, organizational structure that that has certain line managers and things like that throughout the organization but we also try and be devolved as much as possible so we're kind of a center outwards structured organization which allows us to be you know they're, they're currently one of our junior designers has um monthly check-ins with rmd just because they're really interested in having a vantage point on where we're going and those are incredibly rewarding sessions for both both people so i suppose wherever we can kind of breaking down any perceived hierarchy the illusion of hierarchy really building a culture of supporting each other individually and as a team. And yes, having annual events that bring us together to have the discussions we need to in order to be able to push things forward and just have a check-in. And then there's moments where we just might want to talk uh, as a team about certain decisions that are getting made. And I'm very proud of that. You know, those key moments in your uh, company's kind of path where you can make those key decisions together rather than individuals just making a decision because of speed or because they feel it's their right so all of this goes together i hope for us to be very conscientious around maintaining culture but it's an ongoing it's an ongoing challenge i think for anyone who's running an agency or any company really i think that's a nice position to be in where you are able to choose or select the clients or partnerships according to who match or align to your business's mission. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount of agencies or studios currently that are fortunate enough to be in that position. Would you then say that's your current role within Accept and Proceed, that you are actively finding the right clients and partnerships for the business? 
It's it's a group of our role. In fact, we've, you know, partnership, as we call it, rather than new business, is something that has been pretty successfully devolved. And, you know, the, everyone in the company has some form of responsibility around it, whether it be spotting an organization that we think is really interesting, bringing it into the studio to discuss, or actually reaching out directly or, or running new business meetings or partnership meetings. These are things that a lot of people within the company have responsibility for um, if they are interested, you know, in that area of evolving their role. But I think it's an interesting point around clients. Yes, we have key sectors, like we would love to help innovation that is positive for the planet scale. And we know that we are proven, we have a track record of being able to create brand and communications that scale companies really, really effectively and innovations really, really effectively. But there's this sort of flip side to what we're discussing here around an interesting part of the conversation that came up was the fact that you you cannot change what you do not engage with. And what might be perceived to be an organization that is, um, is not aligned with your values could become one if they're committed. And if you have access to the change makers within the organization, you know, you know, the combination of the CEO and the CMO, if you're working directly with them on a strategy that is then going to be rolled out and deployed throughout an entire company, you can make serious change and more impactful change to maybe the companies that are perceived to be some of the worst on the planet. Like, would you not rather have a positive effect with one of the baddies, if you like, in order to be able to... Um, really prove this position of design for the future, really prove this position of having a positive impact in the world. That's where the most work is needed. Now, I thankfully haven't, we haven't had that decision to make very often, but it is an interesting thing to think about. You know, we live, we're all bound in systems that are sort of fraught with issues. There's not really any clean money on the planet. It's all comes through systems, even if it's coming through what seems to be like a really worthy organization that you're, you're working with, you know, it's naive to think that everything isn't interconnected with each other. And I think understanding that everything's interconnected and really understanding that you can have um, massive effect by, under, you know, by, by working in that way, I just think it's a very important position to hold. I don't think it's a moral argument that, that design agencies should be holding. I think it's more of a survival argument that we should be talking about, really. You know, corporations that are part of that 78% I mentioned in opening that need to change because they are unviable because of the way that they're operating. They need to evolve quick. So any CEO or CMO working within those organizations should come and speak to me <laughs> or maybe come and speak to you because they need to evolve and they need to you know, evolve quickly. There is an existential threat to their organization that we can help with. So I suppose it's very, I try and have the broadest perspective on this, this idea of you know, companies that are worthy or not. I try not to be naive around that. And, and I, I'm pretty much open to conversations with, with anyone. But I think the question is, where can you have access to those that are, that are ready to change? Like there's this idea of the Bellman curve, which means you need access to 3.5% of any community in order to have that kind of exponential growth effect. So if you think of those, that 78% of companies that need to evolve, you don't need all of them. We don't want to work with 78% of the companies on the NASDAQ. You just want to work with the 3.5%, which are going to have that cascading effect over time. That's the way we're thinking about our partnerships. 
Yeah, that's a really nice way to look at it. And I think it goes back to your earlier statement about making smaller changes. So, you know, making the micro changes, which have a greater impact on the macro. And I wonder which industries do you, sorry, this might be a loaded question, David, but which industries do you think are at the highest risk and need immediate change for the future right now? Um, hmm. I think going back to this idea of a, a like a planetary body, you know, I, I like the metaphor of thinking of our planet as an interconnected, you know, singular identity. I think there's things that transcend those geographical borders. When you really think about it, there's a lot of very compelling stories that we just tell ourselves. And they're not currently, they're either in their infancy or they're just not serving us well and we need to rethink. So if you think of a planet as one, those geographical borders, just stories that we tell ourselves, even money itself, just a story that we tell ourselves. I like to kind of think of those sectors as being different parts of the body. And so, for example, an energy company is kind of like the blood circulating through our body. And a sanitation company is kind of like the liver or the kidneys that's breaking down the toxins. And media companies are kind of like the perceptual mechanisms which are converting the data and perception into memes and usable chunks, you know, for society to be able to, to understand. And therefore, brand is a function of consciousness in this very profound way. And I think that all these different sectors are part of the bodies, a part of the body that needs help. <laughs> so I, I can't tell you to rush to the heart. I can't yeah. tell you to 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 work out, you know, the the, the blood. So I think it all needs to happen kind of simultaneously. We're in this moment where, which I kind of compare to the moment in the seventies and the and the sixties actually. There's sort of through the sixties and seventies where you had these counterculture movements and a lot of experiments with like psychedelic drugs and it was producing some truly enlightened business leaders and I, I i kind of put people like steve jobs into that category and i know that he's a flawed individual in some respects there's lots of um awareness around the way that he operated that, that was pretty ruthless in many ways but i i do think he was a visionary and able to think 15 to 20 years ahead of what he was actually working on in that moment and I think at that moment, we had this kind of raising consciousness that was really happening around the globe. But the door was kind of slammed shut for various reasons on those, those movements. And now what we have is that time again. I feel it's kind of like a global renaissance that we're going through, but with the amplified ability through technology to better understand ourselves, better understand, like with the evolution of quantum, you know, understanding and and advancement of think technologies like ai we have a, a deeper better understanding and potential of who and what we are so you kind of have this this trio in my mind of of like advancement of technology renaissance but crisis which means we cannot fail like we literally cannot fail in this moment so otherwise we are doomed so it certainly focuses the attention whatever access point you have moves the dial like so I don't want to pick any one sector because I would like to encourage every designer, anyone working in any particular sector, to think about where they can move the whole in the positive direction. 
because we all have agency in this respect. Yeah, 100%. I think it's an interesting one. I think for me, it's, it's a matter of looking into it. Are you excited about the future? Or are you scared for the future? And that's a conversation that we've been having a lot with people outside of the studio. Like It's just a conversation with, with everything that's happened with technology and how quickly it's evolving and how quickly it's moving. Obviously, the conversation yeah. is steering more towards fear. And people are scared for multiple reasons because security or security of jobs and a multitude of like all these little elements that are kind of nearly s- s- like spiraling out of control because no one's got kind of no one's got the reins really. Would you say you're excited for where the future is going or you're a little bit more scared? I try not to operate from a place of fear and that's because it hampers the creative process you like on a, on a basic level. I think that um, when you're in a, a state of anxiety and fear, it's just impossible to, to to really live in the joy of creation. Like there's a contradiction in those two things that I try not to live with. But I do think that a lot of this is because we're fearful because the systems that we were brought up in are failing. So we have certain understandings of things like what it is to be a success. You know, to be a success is to earn a certain amount of money or to own a certain amount of things. And I think reframing what success actually is, is part of the journey we need to go on in this moment. So we're sitting here. um, I've no idea like how old your clothes are, for example, but the the reflection of success should be who's got on (laughs) the oldest clothes in some respect. And I know certain parts of this is happening, but if I'm sitting here, I do not, unfortunately, have a piece of clothing that's 20 years old but like if i'm sitting here in a in a top that's 20 years old you should be like wow man that's cool like that's super cool how did you do that and i should be rewarded for that but we're not we wear our best clothes and you know we're all kind of and that's just one tiny example of this idea of like what success actually means so i think that we've been brought up in this in this sort of mindset and worldview of competition when in fact, where we need to get to is a place of cooperation. And if we can reframe what success actually looks like for organizations, if we can really start to unpick what the opportunity in this moment is, it's like no other group of humans has ever experienced. You know, I do think that in those conversations that you're having, you should be encouraging those you're speaking to, to truly accept themselves, to truly accept the organization for what it currently is and accept the challenge ahead of them that we now face. Because I think there's this sort of magic that comes when you see opportunity and you accept the position that you're in as a starting point of something much, much bigger and greater for the future. I think now is the time to reimagine. It's really our moment as society and as humanity and as individuals and companies to really create a new world. So I'd really like to celebrate the moment that we're in and and recognize that it's a moment that no other group of humans has ever had, you know, and, and really think, can we create a more beautiful world together? Yeah, definitely. And no one can tell the future. Um, I suppose it's just about being optimistic and making sure that the decisions we make now will hopefully make a big or, or good impact for the future. Do you think the future is going to get to where it needs to be, David? Um, I mean, I just don't have a crystal ball 
you know, <laughs> and I think that I, but I do, I do think we have to be honest with each other in these moments. And so, so I accept the fear. I accept the anxiety. I accept that the past will likely be rocky ahead. And I think we all need to recognize that. And I suppose one concern is that with the advancement of technology and the way that kind of media is, is currently um, consumed at scale, it's kind of making the virtual realm more attractive in some respects to the fearful, anxious narrative of our potential future in the real world. And what we need to do is have something that kind of shocks us out of you, you know, the, the, the kind of distraction, like it's, it's a kind of war for attention that we're, we're talking about here and that we have a very, very big opportunity as, as brand designers and creators of digital content and media you know, these are the opportunities that we hold to be able to actually kind of bring people back into the real world. But there has to be something in the real world that shocks us out of the path that could be traveled down in order for us to kind of escape. And the climate crisis crisis could be it you know you think about how in some ways the new rock and roll for younger generations has become activism and i find that really really interesting you know i was brought up in a world where where music and the appreciation of culture and fashion and you know the 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 sort of the way that that um youth groups and communities really operated was very, very different. And the identity of those groups was very, very different. And now you've got this situation where it feels like there's a bigger story, a more important story, possibly the most exciting story that we've ever had to engage with around our future is actually the thing that, that we need to be able to engage with and be able to push things forward with. And I don't think there's going to be a light bulb moment where it all just flicks on. It is going to be an evolution. But I do think that things, it's already happening. Like the world is in chaos. We're having, you know, the effects of climate change really dramatically happen around the world. So I think that, I suppose where I sit, Rogan, on this is we don't know what's going to happen. Like I say, I've got no crystal ball. I will take responsibility for my own actions for my own frequency if you like my own vibration and if we must die if we are going down the path of extinction i want to die at a point where my frequency my vibration is the highest it can possibly be because what comes next will feed from the energy that we leave behind in some ways a kind of energy doesn't go anywhere it just changes form so i think we have a responsibility whether we're going down a, a really rocky road or whether it be utopia, just to hold ourselves in the highest sort of vibration or the highest um, state that we possibly can going into that and come what may. I think that's the responsibility for each in, individual and human to, to, to do that for themselves and for those around them, really. Have you always been a forward thinker, David? I mean, someone who wants to make change or drive change? Or was this something that came later on in your career? Um, I'm just quite curious if it's, it's one of your traits or something that you've slowly grown into. It's definitely come later. I think when I was younger, I was, um, I was probably a bit more selfish um, or unaware or a combination of both those things. 
I think I was, um, I always loved the potential of design and I always loved the creative sector, but I didn't really recognize the detrimental effects that it had had on the world. And I think there was this sort of raise in my awareness, probably with a a kind of, you know, a, a decline in my selfishness as I mature. And probably having kids, you know, has started thinking about future generations in a more profound way. And I think the combination of those things, like the the recognition of, albeit well-intended, the detrimental effects that the work we've done over the years have had on the planet, along with this recognition that if you've had that effect, you can now take responsibility and turn it round. You can use whatever skills you've got, whatever opportunities you've got, whatever connections you've got, the projects that are coming your way, the platforms you're part of, all of these things can actually have an incredibly positive effect if you shift your awareness and your intention. So I think there was definitely a point where I I had a raise in awareness and it shifted my intention and therefore attention. And I'd say that was probably bubbling up for the last 10 years or so, but I think it's become ever more present in the, la- the last sort of five and five or six. And then you naturally decided to funnel that into accept and proceed. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm not the only person at accept and proceed. There's an incredible <laughs> team of people behind me and upstairs and out in the garden and in the cafe right now who, you know, that is accept and proceed. It's not down to any one individual. And I do consider myself to be for good and bad, a, a visionary um, leader. and But I, I the, the biggest challenge we have as an agency and that I have actually individually is is making sure that, that our shared vision, it's not my vision, it's a shared vision, is fully understood and also that it's connected to our day-to-day. And that is a constant challenge, if I'm completely honest with you. Like from the outside, you know, it may not seem as much of a challenge as it is from the inside. But there was a point at which, yes, I probably had to put um, a, a stake in the ground and say, I think we want a noble, noble aim. I think that we we have a responsibility to do something, you know, very special and meaningful with our one wild and valuable life. And I think that that was maybe a starting point that came through conversations with various people internally and it's grown over time. A seed was maybe planted and it's grown over time to a shared vision but it's all of our responsibility now. This isn't about me necessarily. It's about a collective and our partnerships and the world at large. We're really talking about societal change. We're talking about the skills we've got as a creative sector to bring about mass behavioral change. That's that's really what's at stake here. And I, I think that that's something that, yes, obviously I will bang that drum all day long, but it's something that is far bigger than me, far bigger than accept and proceed. Um, and far bigger than just the creative sector, if I'm completely honest. Yeah, it seems the wheels are turning and things are changing. Um, there obviously, there's a long way to go. But for me, it will also go down to key, key principles or ethical considerations. Do you have any kind of guiding principles, David? Um, yes, I think... I think balance is is a guiding principle for the way that I run my life. And it's got multiple meanings for me, that word. But I think quite early on, 
in my career, I, I consider myself to be entrepreneurial, but I didn't want to be an entrepreneur that was so focused on a mission that it would be to the detriment of every other area of their life. And we all know how that ends up. Like we have very good examples of, of those individuals present and they achieve a lot. They're incredibly productive, but effect the, the, the kind of vibration they carry, if we go back to that idea is, is I think can be very disruptive to, to the planet. So I think that for me, balance is something that I wanted to commit to. I want to make sure that I'm looking after those I love and I'm nurturing the relationships that, that nourish me. And then work is very, very, very important to me, of course. But I want to, and, and there's, it ebbs and flows. Like I've got a, a stint of travel coming up, which will mean I'm away from my family and working very hard. But I will go through a period of, of rebalancing, you know, after that. And I try and ebb and throw, flow through the year and understand that there's seasons, not just in our weather systems, but also in your life and, you know, throughout the year and the workflow and all of these different things. Agencies have seasons too. Um, that can change on an annual basis. So balance is something I try and hold very dear to myself. I think that I committed really to use the skills that have always seemed to be present in my life of being a catalyst of some sort. I've always been quite good at bringing people together, whether it be, you know, connections for a party or like an event or a project or a design studio. These, This is a skill I seem to um, have and I'm quite comfortable with. And I want to use that skill wisely to inspire the world in some way. So I think that's a principle, if you like, to use the, the network and the things I'm connected to, to lead in a really, really positive way. I think that there's this sort of responsibility for us to think about the roles that we have as leaders in creating positive cascading effects for the future. And I suppose that's a principle by which I, I wish to live as well. So how do you find the balance, David? How do you manage to find the balance between friends and work and all the other initiatives that you're currently running? Um, I do think I have a mind that enjoys having lots of things going on at once. I'm constantly spinning plates. And I and I, the, the negative of that is sometimes I'm not able to give one of the plates, the attention it really needs and deserves. But I am very comfortable with multiple plates spinning. Um, I have been reflecting recently that I have got a busy home life, um, but that busy home life offsets the busy work life. So in a way, they do balance each other out, even though it's all busyness. The, yeah. You know, the, the, the home life is a kind of balancer of the, the busy work life. But equally... There's certain practices and rituals that I just find very helpful. I'm very interested in breath work, which I kind of see as uh, I, I've studied, you know, or practice, should we say, meditation for many years. But I found there's something around breath work that seems to fast track a very profound meditative state, um, which I, I use breath work to, you know, calm myself down before meetings or, you know, important moments in my life. And the ability for breath to be able to, um, change your feelings is just profound. Like that's a superpower in itself. But I also love movement. And um, I got sort of addicted, shall we say, to hand balancing probably four or five years ago now. And that's evolved into just movement. And all of these things combined, like there's something around the way I practice now, which is sort of falling in and out of handstands, but moving 
through a sort of animal-like flow in my in my sessions that just brings me into a flow state. And I try and live my life like that, you know, really like coming into a conversation like this, being open and allowing it to flow. I think that's really the way that most humans should try and operate if they can. So I try and live in that state of flow as much as I can. And if you do that, I think you can find boundless energy. And actually it does feel balanced because you're not overwhelmed by what's about to come or what's just happened. You're sort of living in that moment. So that's something I, I am a lifelong committed um, sort of student of, I suppose, mindful practice and living in the present moment. But I'm not pretending um, I'm where I would like to be with it. And it is a struggle sometimes, but it's something that helps me a lot. Yeah, meditation and breathwork is something I've learned a lot about in the past, um, specifically because we've got a client that we help do branding and we currently develop it an app for, which is in breathwork. So we've done a lot of research and we're still continuously doing a lot of research. And, and through that research and reading books, I found a lot of benefits from meditation and breathwork. I think my issue is sticking to the practice. I tend to kind of stop when things are good and then fall back in into my old habits, which is really just the opposite of what I'm meant to be doing. I agree. Yeah, I mean, discipline is key for it. It has an accumulative effect. The more you do things, the more regularly. If you're doing it when you feel great, it will have an accumulative effect and a compound effect over time. Um, so, yeah, I just think building those moments into your daily practice are are very necessary and i think it's through those kinds of practices that you start to see that we are more than sometimes we are told you know we are not individual egos in isolation walking this planet we are something that's part of something much bigger much more special like just being able to truly feel the 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 wonders of the, of the universe which are available to us in any given moment but we sort of hampered by you know by the societal sort of um structures and systems with within which we live that kind of overwhelm us but you can break through that you can recognize that they are they are in a lot of cases kind of illusionary and you have access to something far far greater and i think that that I think all humans kind of possess a sort of clairvoyant capacity, a sort of expanded awareness capacity. And it's something I love exploring, like access to a shared consciousness. I love the idea of this where wisdom that can come to you that you didn't learn through your own life, but you've sort of downloaded in those moments of kind of serene calm that you can access through breath work or meditation. I think that's next level humans <laughs> that are living in that state. And that's what's was fascinating to me and I, I will continue to explore for the rest of my life. Yeah, shame, David. I know we're nearing the end of our conversation and I feel like I've asked you a lot of questions. Um, maybe there's something you want to ask or raise or mention before we kind of sign off today. Yeah, I'm really interested to hear where you're at, actually, like what principles drive you and and because we're one we're one basically and i'd love to hear what's working for you and what you feel good about for the future yeah sure david i think for us dash is a young business we are about five years old this year so we are still really in the nurturing stage from a business standpoint i think one of our biggest 
principles are continuously learning um, and that happens across many areas of the business. So internally learning processes or learning new skills, teaching other individuals, designers or anyone in the business. Um, I think it's something that everyone within Dash really adheres to and, and, and really loves. Um, another way is always kind of pushing quality work. I think we're always trying to deliver to the best of our ability. Um, obviously, when clients let us, but we're always trying to push as much as we can to deliver the best quality work that we can. And uh, another one would be bringing empathy into all decision making. I think that's a real big one in the studio, um, something we all value. And I think for our values, we've got quite a few guiding values within the business, but I'll pinpoint a couple. I think the first one is be the person your dog thinks you are. That's something that one of our co-founders said in our first strategy session when we were trying to establish who Dash was. And it really resonated with all the partners at the time. Um, another one would be leave, you, leave your ego at the door. For us, that's all about kind of being humble. Um, you know, everyone is here. Everyone wants to help. Everyone is, is learning from each other. So, you know, just leave your ego at the door is a, is a huge one within the business. And to answer your question about the future and, and what excites me about the future, I think I'm a very optimistic person, so I am looking forward to it. Um, obviously, there are concerns, but I think if everyone plays their part and does small things to make a bigger change, we are likely to have a brighter future. And it excites me. I think there's huge opportunities. I think with where technology is moving at the moment, that excites me. Um, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic and I'm, I'm very excited for it. I'm also really excited for this series. I think there's a huge opportunity for me to have conversations with, you know, founders and creatives and, you know, thought-provoking leaders and have open, candid conversations just like we've had today. I, I value them. I get a lot of um, enjoyment out of them and I hope everyone else does too. I think um, I'm continuously looking for content like this and... You know, hopefully peeling back the layers and showcasing what happens behind closed doors can be beneficial for a few people. So it is exciting. So thank you, David. I really do appreciate your time and, and I've, I've loved our conversation. So thank you so much for, for joining us today on the series. Nice. I think you're right to do it. The, you know, our, our, our network and, you know, our community actually supercharges us and, it would be crazy not to to use technology and you know conversational frameworks in order to be able to amplify your understanding of yourself and open up these types of conversations so kudos to you for doing this and thank you it's a privilege to be speaking today and be the person your dog thinks you are that will sit with me for the rest of the week i like it very much yeah no pleasure thank you so much david i know that you're, you're a busy guy so i really do appreciate your time and i've really enjoyed this conversation um and hopefully we can have many more and that concludes an exciting episode of behind the design if you're eager to delve deeper into the world of digital design and catch up on our conversations with inspiring creatives just search for behind the design on your favorite podcast platform for a closer look at today's content, including artwork and relevant links, visit our website at dashdigital.studio forward slash behind the design. Keep an eye on future episodes by following us on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Rogan Janssen, 
and I look forward to catching up with you soon for more insightful conversations with creative industry founders, artists, and thought-provoking individuals.